the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Please be seated, saints. Let us give our time over once again to prayer and ask for God's help once more. Dear God, we have come, Lord, as you have invited us, and now we long to hear your word once more. We ask, Lord, that you would give to our ears an ability to hear, our minds an ability to know, our hearts an ability to love. Our hands and feet, Lord, the ability to obey. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in light of this morning's sermon, I thought it would be fitting that we turn to the Song of Solomon and consider the one whom we are worshiping and beholding as we are in the most holy place. We are there now. In a real and spiritual manner, we are worshiping in the presence of Christ. And what better place, though there are many, than for us to see the loveliness of Christ than here in the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is also known as the Canticle of Canticles. It is titled so because... It suggests that within the Song of Songs, there lies the greatest of all songs. Now, we should ask the question, what is so great about these songs? The greatness of the songs is found in the greatness of the subject of the songs. It is the greatest song because... Within the song contains the greatest subject that there ever has been and ever will be throughout all of eternity. It is a subject that angels desire, even with superior intellect, to peer into. It is a subject that certainly is of interest to all of us here today, especially in light of the fact that we have learned that we are brought into the most holy place. The Song of Solomon is a book that historically was written by Solomon to his Shulamite bride. It is a beautiful letter, as you all know. It is a provocative letter, as you all know. It is a book that should grip our hearts and our affections as we are allowed access into the intimacy between the bridegroom and his bride. The Song of Solomon, though, is not merely a letter detailing the relationship between an earthly king and his earthly bride, earthly queen. Rather, it is a letter detailing the intimate love between a heavenly king, Christ, and his purified bride without spot or wrinkle, the church. Pilgrims, saints, if you want to know what Christ thinks about you, and you ought to want to know what Christ thinks about you, then consider with me the Song of Songs. 
We can say of this letter, as the apostle wrote to the Ephesians, we speak a great mystery, but we speak concerning Christ and his church. And what love is detailed in a most intimate manner here in the Song of Songs. Some of you men remember the days in which, myself included, we would write love letters to our wives. And the passion and the intimacy and the great care and concern that we took with every single word. The groom here in the Song of Psalms, Songs loves his bride. And the bride is enthralled with her groom. And in many ways, it should be no wonder that the church, the bride of Christ, the one whom Christ loves, views Christ as being altogether lovely. The church should view Christ as being the fairest among 10,000. Christ, brothers and sisters, is infinitely beautiful. We are in the holy place. What are we beholding while we are here? We are beholding the one who is infinitely beautiful. We are beholding the one who is eminently beautiful. We are in the holy place. We are the church. And it should be no wonder, just as the Shulamite bride was enthralled with her Solomon, with her husband Solomon, so the church should be enthralled with her bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be that all peoples on all the earth are enthralled with the loveliness of Christ. Does it not amaze you, brothers and sisters, throughout the word of God? And as we shall see here in the Song of Solomon in a very special way, that, that our lovely Christ also loves his people. That Christ so loved the church that he gave himself for her. This is who we are beholding. This is who we have come to worship. It is the theme of the Song of Songs. It is true that in this letter, and indeed throughout all of Scripture, Christ not only cares, but Christ passionately cares. Poetry is used in this, this letter. There is, I believe, an allegory here. It is a song of love between Christ and his people. And he has loved his people with an everlasting love. And by grace, we have come to say of him, and he is altogether lovely. Here is Christ in verse 1 of chapter 1 speaking to his bride. Speaking to you, the church. And as we listen to him speak, our attitude ought to be the same as the psalmist who said in Psalm 45, My heart overflows with a good theme. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. I pray that as we are beholding this one who calls himself the Rose of Sharon, that we have no dispute that he is even fairer, more lovely than even the Rose of Sharon. Here is our Lord Jesus, the great, great uh, bridegroom, who is saying of himself, 
that he is beautiful. This afternoon, I have just two points for you. Number one, Christ declares his own beauty. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. Brothers and sisters, there is something wonderful in Christ's declaration of his own beauty. This, dear ones, is real beauty. He is speaking as the great I am. And Christ says, I am the rose of Sharon. It is the same Christ who in the days of his incarnation of his flesh would say, I am the vine. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. Speaking with the authority of one who is the great I am, therefore. The I am who spoke to Moses, the Lord Jehovah himself. When Christ says, I am, therefore, he speaks as one who has all of authority, all of the authority of heaven and earth. Meaning this, he speaks as one who cannot lie. So when Christ declares his own beauty, his own infinite beauty, we have the blessed assurance, the infallible assurance that there is no exaggeration in Christ's claim of himself. And there is no falsehood about what Christ says about himself. There is no false humility. There is no undervaluing nor overvaluing. There's no exaggeration or hyperbole. What Christ says of himself is completely true. For he speaks as the eternal one. He knows his own beauty. Christ knows his own beauty, his own perfection. He, he speaks about himself with divine accuracy. He knows it with divine, accurate assessment of who he is, what his worth is. He knows his own value, his own infinite value. And he says with all of the authority of heaven, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. Christ could sing the words of the psalmist, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. And here's the, here's the estimation of what has been searched and known. Appropriately, he is the fairest of 10,000 among 10,000. Christ could say of the spirit that searches all things, even the deep things, that he is, without exaggeration, the most lovely in all of the universe. We might be tempted to ask the question, especially in our own carnality and sin, is it appropriate to make such a statement about yourself? Is it appropriate to say about yourself, I am beautiful. I am most beautiful. It would be very unbecoming of any creature. To ascribe beauty and glory in this kind of superlative manner to themselves. In this kind of uh, over the top, I am the most lovely of all lovelies. 
is it appropriate to commend one's own beauty? We look down on people who make such vain boasts about themselves, right? People who walk around and say of themselves how wonderfully beautiful they are. Creatures who boast in their own beauty always make an overestimation of their own beauty. Let me say it that way again. Creatures who boast of their own beauty always overestimate their own beauty. Their beauty is a fleeting beauty. It's a beauty that's mutable. It changes. It will decrease over time. It's constantly changing, no matter how much someone tries to alter that process or even stop that process. We are constantly changing creatures, no matter how many efforts are made to make beauty remain. They will always infinitely fall short of the beauty of Christ. This was the sin of the first man. The first man says of himself, I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Adam, in his misjudgment and false assessment of himself, considers equality with God a thing to be grasped. He will reach out for it, that which was forbidden. And fallen man makes the same error that our former father made every single day. Exalting ourselves. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, who over-assessed his own loveliness and his own power. And as a result, he ate grass like an animal. You will remember King Agrippa, who overestimated his own worth and was eaten by worms. It isn't appropriate, brothers and sisters, for any creature to ascribe beauty, glory like this to themselves it is a sin. We see in our uh, culture today, those who flaunt themselves in all sorts of different social media platforms to say, look at me, look at me. Their beauty is a fleeting beauty. It's a vain beauty. It's one that will not last. They cannot be captured in a picture and remain the way they were in that picture for eternity. It will change. Adam, Nebuchadnezzar, and even you and I at one point have committed the sin of overestimating our own value, overestimating our own beauty, taking something that does not belong to us, glory that belongs to God alone. Christ, uh, my brothers and sisters, it is not so with Christ. When Christ ascribes beauty to himself, when he takes beauty that is already his, when he ascribes it to himself, Christ commits no crime. Uh, there is no theft committed on behalf of Christ. There is no robbery here. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is equal with God. Equal with the Father, equal with the Spirit, in glory and in honor. So when Christ says, I am the rose of Sharon, I am the lily of the valley, no sin is being made there. He speaks divine 
divinely accurate truth about himself. He declares who he truly is. He declares what he is really like. This is the real beauty of Christ. This is the one whom we have come to worship. Christ also, in declaring his beauty, is declaring that his beauty is incomparable. That no other beauty compares to his beauty. There is no flower like the rose of Sharon. There is no rose like the rose, and there is no rose like the rose of Sharon. It was known for its beauty. It was known for its sweet fragrance. And in scripture, we find Sharon being spoken of in ways of excellence. Isaiah 35 speaks of the excellence of Carmel and Sharon, the rose, being given to it. We associate Sharon with excellence and beauty. Christ is saying his beauty is beyond comparison. Who is there in heaven that can compare with Christ himself? As we have come into the holy place to worship God, are we looking at other people and saying, I wonder what he is doing, I wonder what she's doing, or our, or our, or, 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 you know what I'm saying, or is our eyes fixed on Christ alone? You try to do this three times in one day. <laughs> Who is like God Almighty? And certainly, when we look around, we see beauty, don't we? We see beauty in creation. Uh, driving through the grapevine yesterday and seeing the green that was on the mountains finally, that will soon fade away as the summer comes. It looked like I was looking at Ireland. Beauty there. There is even beauty in the sun. Beauty in the moon which lately I've been looking out, uh, and where I live, sometimes the moon seems to be as large as a piece of pie. <laughs> it's huge. The stars proclaim the glory of God. The stars are proclaiming the wonders of His hand. Creation is preaching a sermon about the glory and power of God. But creation can only tell us so much. Christ is before all things. By him, all things consist. Without him, there is nothing made that was made. Amen. The glory of creation, the glory even of the new creation, is not to be compared with the glory of Christ. I hope that you hear that. The glory of creation and even the glory of the new creation that is to come pales in comparison the beauty and the glory that is found in Christ. We look into the world, the created world, and we see that Christ is infinitely greater than anything that we can see in this earth. We've come to worship him. We can even look at man, the apex of God's creation. Man made in the image of God. We can even look at the best of men. And they even they cannot compare to the beauty, the loveliness, the worthiness of Christ. The Queen of Sheba was dazzled by the glory that she saw of Solomon. But Christ says Solomon in all of his glory cannot be compared to the glory found in the lily 
of the valley. Not even Solomon was adorned like one of these. Solomon in all of his splendor cannot say. Solomon in all of his glory cannot say. Solomon in all of his wealth cannot say, I am the lily of the valley. But Christ can. Adam, in his innocence, created in holiness, uprightness, knowledge, dominion over creatures, reflecting something of who God is. Even Adam in his prelapsarian state could not compare to the infinite beauty of Christ. This is whom we have come to worship. He's the new and better Adam. And we could even look at the angels. Sometimes I'll go into homes and I'll see people's, uh, people have pictures of angels everywhere and, and, and statues of angels. They, they, they view angels as being the highest of all of God's creatures. They view angels as being the highest and most beautiful of all things. They are glorious creatures. They are holy creatures. They've never sinned. They unceasingly declare the praise and glory of God. Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, the whole earth is full of your glory, is what they declare. But the writer of the Hebrews says, to which of the angels did God ever say today, or you are my, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. They are of lesser value, of lesser worth than the eternal son of God. They are of lesser beauty. They are of lesser uh, worth, I should say again. In Christ the Son. Angels of God. Brilliant, holy angels. They worship Christ alone. For Christ alone is worthy of worship. We have come to worship Christ. Christ is fairer. Christ is more lovely. He is uh, more beautiful beyond compare. His beauty is immeasurable. This is whom we have come to worship. And the beauty of Christ that Christ holds out before us, it is a multi-layered beauty. Just like the rose, you can take the petal and there is still more beauty to behold as you remove one petal after another. This morning, speaking to one of the sisters, said to her that I'm still growing and still learning. And it is, if you will, that God is is yet calling me closer into his presence, even with small adjustments that are big for me that we've made in our liturgy and learning about this covenantal conversation that's happening with us in our worship. It is as though God is saying further still, there is, there is yet more beauty to behold further still. We see beauty here and we think that we've reached the summit and there is yet more beauty to be uncovered the more that we ascend holy Zion, the beauty of Christ is a multi-layered beauty and we have come to worship him. This has been happening ever since time has begun. The rose of Sharon, as it were, it first budded in the first gospel promise in Genesis 3 and 15. I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And, and the petals begin to be revealed by further steps in Revelation. There was a budding of the rose of Sharon and of the lily of the valley. The, the sweet smell of this rose began to perfume even in this earth in the time of Noah after the flood. Noah offers a sacrifice and we read that the Lord smelled the sweet savor. 
It was the beginning of the fragrance, the perfume of Christ filling this world. And in all the Old Testament sacrifices, we read again and again and again, there is a, a sweet savor that reaches the Lord. In all the prophecies, in all the types and shadows of the king who will come in his beauty. Isaiah speaks about this. Ezekiel speaks about this. He's the root of Jesse, the branch that would come. We have the, the budding and blossoming of the rose of Sharon coming to expression, if you will. We see in all of this Christ making himself known. Christ is showing forth his beauty. This is whom we have come to worship. It, it is coming to bloom in our understanding, coming to bloom as we worship. He came to blossom in the incarnation of Christ. How the rose began to bloom and blossom in the incarnation of Christ, the rose of Sharon. Sharon's rose is a flower that grows. It, it grows on this earth. It's Christ never said of himself, I'm the rose of heaven. I'm the rose of Sharon that grows here on earth. It blossoms and it, it, it blooms here on earth. It would make more sense in many ways if Christ said that he's the rose of heaven. But Christ says, I'm the rose of Sharon. He's the flower, the rose that is here on earth. And, and what beauty is there here? We have said we've come to worship him. What beauty is there then? When we look at this rose in the incarnation of Christ, we see the son of God in our nature with holiness. There is beauty there. We see the graces of the spirit. We see him grow in wisdom and in stature. There is beauty there. We see this flower as it were blooming with wisdom, knowledge, with favor, with God and with men. He is Truth incarnate, love incarnate, without spot or wrinkle, there is beauty there. In his life, many saw no beauty. There was nothing about him that would, feature-wise, cause people to come to him. They saw him like a root out of the dry ground, with no form or comeliness. But there were those who, by the grace of God, because of the work of the Spirit, who saw the loveliness of this rose. And who by the work of the Spirit could smell the sweet aroma emanating from Christ the Incarnate One. Their spiritual nostrils, if you will, had been opened and they could see and smell the glory of this one. A woman came to Christ with a large box of a precious ointment it was a precious ointment with sweet aroma. And she comes and she breaks it and pours it on the head of Christ and wipes his feet with her hair. And she is there crying before him. And the aroma, the scripture says, filled that room. The question that came to her was this. Why this waste? The estimation from the natural man was, this man is not worth it. This ointment could have been used for things of greater value. 
Why was she pouring something so valuable on this person who in their estimation was not worth that which was inside the box? It was because of this. This woman, by the grace of God, have come to realize in her own soul, this man was more precious. This man was more lovely. This man was more valuable than any fragrance that she had ever known by far. He was infinitely worth more than that which was inside of this box. She heard him saying in her soul, I am the rose of Sharon. She heard him saying in her soul, I am the lily of the valleys. And there is a multi-layered beauty to Christ when we then look at his suffering and at his death. Where is beauty? What happens when you bruise a rose? What does it naturally do? It naturally gives off a stronger fragrance. It naturally gives off a stronger aroma. So it is with our Christ when he was bruised. What fragrance the death of Christ came, became to the world and to heaven itself as he was bruised for our iniquities. It seems even counterintuitive, doesn't it? When we consider Gethsemane, where is their beauty? When we consider agony, where is the beauty? When we consider the, the sweat drops of blood, the sleeping disciples, the, the kiss of betrayal, the arrest, the scourging, the whipping, the mocking, the crown of thorns, the parting of his garment, the sheer injustice of it all. We must ask the question, where's the beauty in all of that? Come to the crucifixion, to the pierced hands, to the crown on, on his head, to the pierced feet, to seeing him hung upon the tree. Where is the beauty? There is great beauty. And there is great sweetness here. He did not hide his face from shame. He was the song of the drunkard. To him, they be he became a proverb. Where's the beauty? Is there any grief like the grief that Christ suffered? Has anyone ever been bruised like Christ was bruised? This is the beauty of the Rose of Sharon. This is the delightful lily of the valley. He was bruised for our iniquities. Amen. Amen. That by his stripes, yes. Yes. we might be healed. Amen. Amen. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Yes. This is who we have come to worship. Yes. Praise God. Have you seen his beauty, my friends? <laughs> have you smelled his glorious fragrance.
here, brothers and sisters, is the fragrance that perfumes not only earth, but heaven itself. This is the perfume. This is the scent that fills all of heaven unlike anywhere else. There is where God smells the sweet savor of his perfect sacrifice. It's the smell of perfect obedience. Christ has loved us that he would offer up himself as an offering for our sin. And it is a sweet aroma to God. Where else is there beauty? Let's go to the grave of Christ. That grave that we associate with death. That grave that we associate with stench because of sin. The grave that Martha said of Lazarus, her brother, you can't open the tomb. You can't open the door. He's been dead for four days. By now he stinks. The wages of sin is death. The smell of corruption is the grave. Here is a grave. Here is a body that saw no corruption. There was no need for Nicodemus to come with 100 pounds of myrrh. Because his garments already breathed of myrrh. From his grave, he says, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. We sing of the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, but here is the valley of death. Christ, even in death, blooms with life. Think of what Christ says, rose of Sharon, lily in a valley. The valley of death. And even where there is death, God can cause life to grow. God can cause the most beautiful of all to sprout and to bring forth a wonderful bouquet of salvation to the nations. Let's go to, to heaven itself and Christ is still there. The rose of Sharon, the flower on earth, resides now in heaven. John Duncan says, the dust of earth on the throne of God. The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley on the very throne of God, perfuming and giving beauty and glory to that place from heaven where Christ proclaims the gospel that we can be saved by placing our faith in the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. I pray that you have seen his beauty. Young ones, I pray that as you attend our gatherings of worship, that you are seeing something beautiful to behold. And that as we gather for worship, brothers and sisters, that you are not just coming and seeing a man, but that you recognize that you are coming to behold one who is the fairest and most beautiful and most lovely, that you have come to glorify Christ, who is infinitely worthy of praise and glory and honor. That you hear him saying about himself something that is divinely true, that he is the fairest and most beautiful, that he is the, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. 
And if you can't see his beauty, it's not because there is no beauty in him. We cannot see his beauty and the sweetness of his fragrance. We do not know. It's because we are blind. It's because we have lost our senses. But if you turn to Christ in faith, you will see and know his great beauty and your life will be a sweet aroma to the world. For those who are perishing, you will be a stench of death to them. You will be a reminder that they are apart from God. But for those who are living, you will emanate of Christ. You will have a, an aroma of Christ and you will be a sweet smell to all those who know the loveliness of Sharon. Secondly, and more briefly, Christ desires that his bride see his beauty. This is why Christ is showing himself forth. So that when we gather for worship, we might see him and admire him. That we would be sovereignly drawn to him, to his person and work. Christ is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He knows who he is. He knows his own worth, his own perfection. He knows his own beauty. He knows the efficacy of his sacrifice that has been made once and for all. He knows it fully. He knows it perfectly. Why is he declaring it to you this afternoon? Why are you hearing of his beauty this afternoon? It's so that you might see him and admire him for who he is. Christ knows who he is. He knows his own worth. He knows his own value. He perfectly declares it. But why are you hearing it? If he already knows it, why do you need to hear it? So that you can know it. So that you can admire him. So that you can come and behold the one who is the Rose of Sharon. And listen to this. And he is accessible to you. He is offering himself to you. He's calling all of those young and old, whatever age you may be. He's calling you to behold him, to take of him. Sharon is a wild flower. It grows wildly. The lily that is growing in the valley is available. They are both infinitely, well, they are both, not infinitely, they are both beautiful. But they're also accessible. The rose of Sharon is not shut away somewhere in some kingdom that you do not have access to. Lily is not growing somewhere in a high tower that you have to climb. In order to gain. The lily is in the field. Come and take of the lily of the valley. Uh, the rose is growing wildly. Come and partake. Take and see. Smell the sweet aroma of the rose of Sharon. You do not need to go to some restricted place in order to behold the rose or the lily. They are there and available to you. The perfume of the rose is not bottled away in some jar. It's not at a high price that you have to pay to receive it. The price has already been paid. It is yours. 
This flower is free and it is acceptable, accessible. When my wife and I were first married and prior to our being married, there was a, uh, a time when I would bring her a rose regularly. She would be thrilled at the different color, usually white or red, that I would bring to her. Thank you so much for bringing me this rose. And she would put it away in, in, in water and, and, and care for it. And I thank my neighbor for all the roses that I gave to my wife over the years. She saved me a lot of money. I could be reprimanded for my actions. But you and I will be never reprimanded for taking of the rose of Sharon. You and I will never be condemned for going into this garden of the gospel and picking and taking of the rose of Sharon. He is there to be taken. He is accessible. He is available to you. Come into the garden. Take of Christ. You will not be denied. There is no sign that says not allowed. If you come in repentance and faith, you are welcome to enter into this garden. Come and freely take of Christ. He came into the open. And invites you in the open to come and freely partake of him. Smell the beauty of his rose. Hear the voice of your shepherd calling you into his field. One of the old writers said, with all its heavenly beauty and rare fragrance, it is yours. O man, pluck and take into your bosom for yourself. Yours not merely to admire, but to possess. Take of Christ. He is yours. Young people, take of Christ. He is yours. In a few moments, we will, we will show the Lord's Supper and we will say, as been said over and over again, this is done for those who repent and place their faith in Christ. Come to him. It is the free offer of the gospel. But it's not just a recommendation, is it? Christ is thrusting himself upon you. Just like those who would walk through Sharon and smell the scent of the rose, they couldn't but help smell the scent of Sharon's rose. It was all around them. It was imposing itself upon them. The smell would thrust itself upon them. We were driving the other day uh, near the 178, the mouth of the canyon, and we began to drive through some of the orchards with our windows down. There, there was no way. It's up, of course inside of even the car. Even inside the car we could smell of the aroma of those orchards. Even with windows up, we could still smell. Stop. Smell as you pass through this world. Take of the rose of Sharon who is thrusting himself upon you now if you are hearing this word. Admire, no, possess as your own. The lily is saying the same thing. Why be enamored with the trinkets of this world? Stop and see real beauty. Stop and see his beauty. Don't just admire, take as your own. Thomas Goodwin, in closing, said, 
hearken and encourage believers to come boldly into the throne of grace unto such a high, unto such a savior and high priest when they shall know how sweetly and tenderly his heart, though he is now in glory, is inclined toward them. The lily is infinitely more glorious than Solomon. Our belief will come in at this point and say, just like Satan and just like the Pharisees and just like those who saw the ointment broken upon the head of Christ. Listen to this. Why this waste? But not waste on Christ. Satan might be saying to some of us, why this waste on me? Why such a precious gift for me? My love is often cold. I am so unfit. I am so unworthy. I am guilty of sin more than I could ever, more than I could ever confess. His blood is too precious to be wasted upon me. Why would he arise and take such care and concern for me? This is why we need to hear the rose and the lily say, let God be true and every man a liar. Here is what the faithful and true witness says. I am the first and the last. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You did not first love me. I first loved you. This is the gift of God, the grace of God. It's not the works of any man so that no man can boast. It is the gift of God Almighty who says he's the rose. We have it backwards when we say, why me? I'm no rose. You're right. You're not. I'm no lily. You're, well, some of you, you're not, you're not a lily. You're right. You're not. And it's not dependent upon you being a rose or you being a lily. Your faith is in the rose, in the lily of the valley. And he calls you to partake in all of his beauty in all of his loveliness and saying, here, take, I am for you. I am unworthy, good. This will keep you on your knees worshiping him for all of eternity then. You don't overestimate your own value. You don't overestimate your own beauty. Look to the one who is infinitely more. What a wonder it is that he would give such loveliness to us that we would receive the benefits of this aroma. There is a dying criminal at the right hand of Christ, a thief who is in the midst of the most foul stench and around him the greatest fragrance was pouring forth so much so that he was able to smell and say, this man is innocent of all sin. And that Christ would be able to say back to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Was he worthy? Was there anything lovely about him? He was the guilty one. Christ makes him a sharer 
in his own perfect righteousness. Brothers and sisters, to God alone be the glory. This is whom we come to worship. We are called into his presence. Who is it that we are worshiping? The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. So as we are having this covenantal conversation, this covenantal communion with God, be aware of who he is. Be aware of how lovely he is, how infinitely glorious he is. And he has called you to fellowship with him. Who else could receive glory but God alone? Let us pray.